0: Hi, this is Tundi Gatkins, atkins and it's episode 15 of our Treasure Island Pedagogies podcast series from the Centre for Innovation in Education at the University of Liverpool, where we share our lightbulb moments, teaching, props and pedagogies as we cohabit our Treasure Island special contact time for students. We have three guests today, so can I ask each of you to briefly introduce yourself, your original discipline and current role and how did you arrive here?
1: So I'm Ellie Setman, I'm an academic developer at, within the academy at Liverpool, and my current role is I teach on our PG Cap programmes, and I have a remit to support scholarship of learning and teaching um, across the institution. I'm still working on what that role actually is, but I'm, I'm doing my best. Um, But by background, um, I have no background in education before I started this job. Um, By background, I'm a biologist, so ecology, animal behavior, and then animal science, but always in a very teaching-focused role. And that's kind of how I then went from postdoc to postdoc to what on earth am I going to do when the postdoc runs out? Well, the thing I know how to do is teaching, and so I ended up In academic development, um, kind of via supporting PGR development as well in the beginning, and now entirely focused on on academic development. Um, So I've been here for five years, but I still feel like I'm completely new to the whole world of pedagogic scholarship and and academic development. But I'm doing my best to sort of blog my way through. I
0: think you're doing a fantastic job (laughs) of it, Ellie. (laughs) Thank you, Fiona.
2: Uh, yeah, thank you very much for inviting me to be part of this, it's lovely to be here. So i um, Fiona Smart. I'm attached to Edinburgh Napier University as a visiting professor. I was there for um, seven and a half years working in the department changed its time a number of uh, a number of times, but it was the Department of Learning and Teaching Enhancement. That was my first role in what you might call educational development, and I fell in love with it. I think everything that came before led me to that place that I never thought I'd be in. Um, Just really rich, being able to work across an institution in collaboration, working in partnership with with colleagues. Um, My my original discipline is nursing. I still am a registrant, although not that for much longer, actually. Um, And it's going to be really hard for me to give that up because that's such a part of my identity. So I um, I trained a long time ago, 1979 to 1983 as a, an adult and children's nurse, and then went into education really quite quickly. So I've been working in education since 88 and in higher education since 95. So that's what I mean by all the things that have gone before led me to educational development, and, it, and it's just a place of ongoing learning for me. I now um, work as a learning and teaching enhancement consultant, which allows me to work in the UK, but actually more often overseas. Um, And it's there that I've learned that actually all of the things that we think separate us are actually the things that unite us. And and I've also tried to learn a bit of Arabic along the way. I'm not doing terribly well, but I do try. So, So I can say shukran, which is thank you and hand to Tim, I think.
3: Thanks very much Fiona and uh, thanks also Tunde for inviting me to this really quite exciting podcast session. Yeah, my name is Tim Neumann, I am based at University College London, or more specifically at the UCL Institute of Education, where I currently am down to three roles only, Uh, I had more in the past, so I am a lecturer in education and technology. I am also the relatively new faculty learning technology lead for the Institute of Education, so I am helping to coordinate or I'm leading on the coordination of learning technology use in the faculty. And I'm also uh, the head of the IOE learning technologies unit, um, which is a very small team to look at how we can embed the research into education and education technology that we are doing at our institution. And there I'm based at the UCL Knowledge Lab, which is effectively a small um, but quite weighty research department or research center, rather. And originally, I um, trained as a sound engineer and uh, was well a music producer, event producer, for a number of years and uh, did some training in the wider broadcast and music industry. And um, I was also working in a further education college as a tutor or trainer um, on a freelance basis. But as I was put in, to, in front of people in order to teach without any sort of pedagogic preparation, um, I felt the need to educate myself in pedagogy and educational theories and so on because I thought I was doing a very terrible job even though the the students seemed to to like what I was doing but uh, it didn't meet my standards. So I uh, did a master's in um, education technology with an Australian university at the time when I was living in Germany. So that was distance education. That was one of the very early fully online courses that I went through and that has prepared me for um, um, my current role very well, because I bring with me the experience as a distance learner, as an online learner. And uh, yeah, I'm very lucky that I had the opportunity to join the Institute of Education back in 2005, and I've made my way up there through. Uh, in that organization.
0: Brilliant. I think, again, the theme of being learners and how it then enriches um, our experience as an educator seems to come through. Can I ask you now to think of a light bulb moment and just share one light bulb moment with your students and and with our listeners today? So this is the moment when you felt felt that they were getting it and and what made this happen?
1: And when when you, you you you, told us about this question ahead of time to prepare And I just immediately, this episode stuck in my mind. Um, And it was years ago, um, probably about eight years ago, maybe even more, um, when I was teaching biology, first year biology. Um, And it was when students finally kind of, they had that moment of realizing the complexity. Um, A concept like a species, and they think, yeah, I know what a species is. I've learned that in biology in high school and and maybe even earlier. Um, I can identify a species. Part of what gets people interested in biology is learning the names of different species. And then I had a tutorial where I basically got them to question the whole concept of species. um, And it was just exciting to see how they... um, kind of went from being really certain about something to being not just, not confused, but being excited about the fact that science isn't so definite. And it's rare to see that usually they just get frustrated with tell me the answer, but actually they got to the point where they went, these are amazing questions. And and that was just so exciting to see. And it was, it got the students really fired up and excited about the whole wider topic. and what made it, in a sense, it was a light bulb moment for them. And it was exciting for me to see them have that light bulb moment. But in a sense, it was a light bulb moment for me, for my teaching, in that this was a, a tutorial session where I didn't give a lecture and they just got it. You know, that sense of like, they've, I've seen that. They got it when I delivered something. Um, I'd given them three papers, To read, or each of them read one of the three papers and introduced, I they introduced the paper to the group. And I was just asking questions. I didn't start by giving them answers. I was just asking questions and prompting them to then have a discussion based on the questions I asked. And for me, that was a sort of light bulb moment of this is such an effective way of teaching compared to what I had been doing up until that point of just kind of preparing slides and giving a lecture. So so in that sense it was kind of a, a double light bulb moment. And I, I can't say that it then fixed my teaching forever after. I had plenty of sessions that didn't work anywhere near as well. But um, it it was an exciting session and, and that's just one to add.
0: Yeah and then, do, and then as you say it's double exciting because it was you know you both you both have seen something different. And, and and I guess also what's exciting about it is that as you said it's such a basic or core concept and you know that you can bring that questioning and criticality to it for students
2: mm-hmm. Mine mind follows on us i think um so a long time ago when I worked um at St Martin's college which became the University of Cumbria uh, there was a very very popular program there that was um it was it was uh, breaking ground in in the uk in relation to healthcare education particularly nurse practitioners um, and it was a it was a face-to-face program that just grew and grew like topsy um, and remarkably popular and we needed to develop a distance learning option for it <laughs> and uh, i smile whenever i i have this memory um, so uh, we have to think about how we were going to take a very successful programme that recruited really well, high student satisfaction, people who went on to be able to take up um, very innovative roles in healthcare practice, both in doctor surgeries and in hospital settings, a, a whole range of hospital settings. And then we had to do it in distance learning. So I'm forever amused when I remember the fact that we thought it was okay to video record the classroom sessions and send those tapes out to our distance learners, and we thought we'd really cracked it when um, we didn't do videotapes. We actually had them on CDs. You know, at least it was slightly less cumbersome. But I, I kind of smile about that bit. But the the bit where my eyes opened was the way that we managed these distance learners was, um, and we had. Um, in excess of 100, um, in in a group, was we had them in small groups and we we allocated a member of staff to each small group and that member of staff was not a subject specialist because they couldn't be and the light bulb moment was realising that we can facilitate learning without actually being the expert and it was like oh wow! And and for me, what changed my practice from there on in, so we're in the late 1990s at that point, was that when I was then teaching in a face-to-face situation, is I could bring that forward. Mm -hmm. So we often think about it the other way. How does face-to-face inform online? But for me, it was online that just allowed my eyes to open to the fact that I didn't have to know all of this. And for me, the bit of magic that sits in there is a word that we don't talk about that often in in education. And I wish we did was learning to trust the process and learning Mm. to trust students, because actually, if you design it, if you design it to engage the students, actually, they will come in. And there are ways for you as the non-expert to still be credible because you're credible for other reasons um and and for me that was joy what I'd like to pretend is that I realized that it was a light bulb moment at the time I'm not too sure that I right at that time felt it but I know I changed my practice then Um, and for me it's always allowed me to have faith in the process think about your design spend time with the design and then let it flow so
3: for me just joyous (laughs)
0: And so key as well. Tim?
3: Yeah, what I'm going to say is uh, probably going to sound like we coordinated before the session, but we didn't. (laughs) However, I would like to cheat the system a bit and um, offer two light bulb moments uh, that both tag along nicely to what has just been said before. Uh, one thing about is about uh, the teacher identity, the other is about um, a, a learner experience. And uh, f- from the teacher identity viewpoint, I once was set in a session where the lecturer, um, well, did his thing, lecturing, talking a lot. And we had a group of experienced professionals in this classroom who kind of did not quite want that because we wanted, to draw on each other's experiences. So we sort of confronted this lecturer and had a a really friendly but um, sort of assertive talk. And the lecturer then said, I feel I'm not worth your study fees if I don't talk, if I don't talk and don't lecture you. I think what I'm paid for is to talk to you and Uh, Yeah, well, give you my knowledge and uh, the expert experience that I bring. Uh, But that is not what the learners wanted. They wanted prompts in order to discuss and think more deeply, reflect in a structured way about their own experience, and then uh, listen to others and learn from other people's experiences to build something together. And that, for me, was a light bulb moment Uh, in terms of thinking through what it actually means to be a good teacher which is effectively what we just heard from Fiona it's not necessary to really uh, assert your, your expertise in the subject matter no what is effectively required of you is to be well the conduit the facilitator the person who creates a structure that allows learners to bring in their own experience, take on new information and mold them all together collaboratively. So my light bulb moment in this moment uh, was to realize that the role of the teacher was really not the sage on the stage, which is something that I've always read about. But there was a situation where we suddenly articulated this in a real session in a real life environment. And um, the other light bulb moment, even more from a learner's perspective, was effectively going back to uh, what Fiona says about distance learning. I, even before I did my online studies, I was a distance learner uh, based on the paper-based distance learning generation, where we would be sent study packs, really thick books of readings, but then most importantly, study guides with activities uh, what you had to do. And I really remember, um, maybe not the first time I received a pack, but uh, the first time I received a pack from an Australian university who were very, very good at distance learning, the study guide was so structured that helped me learn so well that I didn't really miss any teachers. And I suddenly saw, yeah, I can do this on my own. I can learn this i can reflect there are enough prompts that are challenging me that uh, yank me out of my comfort zone that require me to work but they are in structures. they give me a structure and they are well designed they keep me entertained and they somehow achieve this little dust of magic of um keeping you interested and focused And um, that's when I realized that, well, A, you don't need the experts every time, anytime by your side, but also B, how important a well-structured and well-designed set of materials is. The structure can come from the person in the classroom at the moment in time, but it can equally come from a set of really well-designed printed or online materials without anybody Nearby,
0: Yeah, I think that seems to be a commonality with uh, not just it's almost like, as you said, I love the magic dust or the magic ingredient on this as well, which the spark, I guess, that keeps interest and Ellie in your example as well, you talked when you talked about the students questioning in a sense, you um, getting them to read particular pieces. So there, there was an element of good design there as well that was um, helpful to create that experience for the students. So thank you for sharing and, and no problem with cheating team because I know it's very difficult to pick up one or, or just a few from, from your um, careers. So let's move on to the next question, which uh, might fit, I'm sure you, you will um, bring some really interesting teaching props or pedagogies to the island so what what would these be
2: can i Maybe cheat you have two
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think we will have to out of fairness yeah. to tim. if tim was allowed yeah, then because yes. otherwise, yeah.
2: Yeah, because Tim got the advantage. Um, When I thought about this in advance, I I went for something which appears a little more sensible and a little more learned. But the one I want to offer first is about using Winnie the Pooh characters when you are getting people to think about themselves and how they work in groups. And I come back to it time and time again. Um, So I work with the, the eight main characters and get people to think about who they most think they resemble or or, um, and, and quite often it is that you are not purely it you're not purely rabbit for example but also within that to think about the upside of the character and the downside of the character and why it is that you have People that you prefer to work with. So if, if you're trying to persuade students to come into group work, for example, why it is that they find some groups much more difficult to work within, because there's either too many rabbits or too many tigers or or whatever. But also, I've used it um, when getting people to think about um, uh, um, interviewing. Um, and, and why it is that we want to interview, why we want to accept people into a post that's actually quite similar to us, rather than thinking about the diversity of a team and the strength that comes from diversity. So, Winnie the Pooh, um, for me, has often been a way to go back to and inject fun into conversations, informally and informally. I, I've used it with staff members as well um, mm. to say, good heavens above, that's very owl. You know, you're now terrifying people. Um, My more learned answer is um, the six thinking hats. I have a really bad tendency to think black. And um, if, if my interactions with students or colleagues hasn't gone well, just to put the black hat on and just sit there and give myself a really hard time. But forcing myself to put the yellow hat on and to see the, see the sunshine where all I can see is gloom has been a revelation for me. And even now, um, I will use it. I'll use it with myself. I'll use it with other people. So all of these reflective models that are sometimes quite hard to penetrate from a language point of view, For me, the six thinking hats and the imagery of putting a hat on and only being able to think in that way while that hat is on has been such a tool for me. So it would have to go to the island with me, but I'd like to sneak Winnie the Pooh in as well.
0: (laughs) I think under the hat they would probably, some of them will fit under the hat.
2: (laughs) Or in the pouch, it could be in Kanga's pouch.
0: If it's if it's got honey it might not fit but no.
2: uh, yeah this is true so
0: for for those listeners who might not know about the six thinking hats what how would you describe it
2: so i'd, I'd highly recommend it so edward de bono um in 1984 or it could be 1985 um and and the precy is that people have a preferred way of thinking And you tend to go to that way of thinking because that's what you've learned and it becomes your go-to. So like me being black in my thinking and tending to see the negative. Um, So what he describes as six thinking hats. And so the first one being the description of the situation, the last one being, so what are you going to do? And in amongst that, um, black for, black yellow for the brighter side red for emotions and green for other possibilities so although i use it as a reflective tool and i've used it as a reflective tool with others it wouldn't be described as such it's to do with how people think and preferred ways of, of 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 thinking that actually can entrap you in a way that is not helpful to you so um, I think it could have been a reflective tool, but actually he wouldn't have described it as such. But, yeah, I've got a well-thumbed copy, which is always a good uh, recommendation of a book that's uh, almost falling apart. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Brilliant. And I can't help ask, but when when you do use the Winnie the Pooh characters with students and group work, is there any characters that's more prominent or less prominent? When...
2: Well, I think there is the how you think you are, how you present to others, and also the ideal character, the one who you'd like to be. I've always wanted to be Owl. You know, I've always wanted people to look at me and go, she's wise. But it, it hasn't happened, so that's fine. I know I'm piglet. How do you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> because I'm always told I'm piglet, because I've got real piglet tendencies, which is... The piglet is the one who wants to please people, the one who wants to get it right, but actually can get caught up in trying to please different people and in so doing isn't true to self. Mm-hmm. So I actually have presents that have been bought for me with piglet on them. So I, I do know there's quite a lot of piglets. So if
0: someone and, uh, is listening, please buy Fiona an owl yeah, mug or yeah.
2: something. Yes, or owl! Yeah, Fiona for owl. Um, but I, I think... Um, I, I think because it's fun, you actually can play around with the whole idea of who you would like to be, Mm -hmm. who you think you most um, resemble and those wonderful mixes of people. Um, And I think it does depend on who you're talking to. If you're talking to uh, people in caring professions, you know, they, they almost think they need to be Kanga. Well, actually, you don't all need to be Kanga at all. Mm-hmm. um but but i think it's most helpful for understanding the people who you least like working with mm-hmm.
0: and uh, i guess on our treasure island with special contact time with students again you you you'd rather have the island full of the all the characters than yes. one island with all piglets or all Winnies or
2: all... <laughs> correct and that's where um, sorry I, I know I'm taking up a lot of time here but um, I first came across it as a way of using it when I taught a tiny group of students there were eight of them and oh, they were really hard to work with really really hard and you'd think that you with eight students would be you know joyful that it was anything but till I realized that five of them were real rabbit-like, wanting to organize, wanting everything sorted, wanting it this, to the point where they would only sit in the same seat. And if you tried to move them, that that rigidity. Mm. So there were five rabbits, one Kanga, and I can't remember the others. And I actually used it. I didn't say, you know, you're all rabbit. What I did was brought it in from the side and got them thinking about how they didn't listen to each other and wanted to take over and wanted to organize and all of those things so, so I think it for me being playful and being serious. Is actually something, maybe it is my nursing background. I'm a children's nurse, I would reach. I think there
0: about. is something about uh, using tale stories in teaching yes. that ha- can have that, as you say, that playful seriousness quality that yes. can really dig down deep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so we've got two lovely props on my island. What else shall we take uh, in our boats?
3: Well, that's a tough act to follow because I think we've reached the pinnacle of creativity in this discussion already. I can't (laughs) stop Winnie Pooh. (laughs) Um, So, but uh, yeah, so I'll I'll bring the discussion down to more mundane levels or learned levels. Uh, So I would like to start uh, by nominating constructive alignment, even though that's not a thing to take on the island, but I'll have to a thing to take with me at the end of what I'm, um, what I want to say here. So constructive alignment is uh, as a pedagogy is for me, uh, kind of the uh, ultimate that we uh, that I tend to strive for um, going back to John Biggs, I think, in Australian again, um, I'm very influenced by Austra- the Australian way of thinking because I studied at two Australian universities. So um, yeah, constructive alignment. Uh, I'm, I'm sure most listeners will be aware, but it's trying to bring uh, learning outcomes, activities, and assessment together in a way that they essentially support each other and build on each other, so that you reach this alignment in order to um, yeah give learners uh, good guide guidance through. Um, through a course with measurable um, su- success factors and so on, and uh, well, I-, I just think it's so important to, um, yeah, look at all of these three components: outcomes or objectives, uh, activities, and assessment all together. Because often, um, from my own practice, I observe that assessment is somehow tacked on as a summative piece at the end as an exam or as an essay. Um, whereas it would work much more meaningfully if you built it into the teaching process into the activities. Hence, uh, I started a, a new master's module on learning design for blended online education recently, we just finished the second run of it, where I really tried to Put these principles into practice and I really thought long and hard about the learning objectives, which is not an easy thing to do if you want to do it properly. Uh, but then um, I also brought parts of the assessment forwards and built it into the activities so that there is actually not this, this um, barrier between these two, between activities and assessment anymore. So activities become assessment and uh, they also become a preparation for then what uh, for organizational reasons, we still need to have sort of capstone thing final essay and so on, but uh, yeah this uh, at our institution, then suddenly counts as innovation in, in assessment. Uh, Whereas it's in my view, just uh, a logical conclusion of following the principles of constructive alignment. So think this through heart, and then uh, what helps with that in terms of more practical tools is uh, setting expectations, this is what we do with the learning objectives, the learning outcomes, and hence it's so worthwhile spending time on them. Um, and w- when I'm asked to uh, what kind of tips I would give to give to others, then I have to mention one tip uh, because my colleagues are quoting me on this now, uh, which is trying to give learners an estimate of the time that they are supposed to spend on a task. Which is something that is perhaps not obvious for those people who mainly do classroom teaching, but for those of us who are heavily involved in distance education or now online education, which is now everybody thanks to what happened over the past two years. Um, well, we we need to give the learners some structure again. Uh, that helps them to organize their own time and giving them an estimate estimated time of uh, how long it takes to go through this specific activity like this discussion activity should take you 30 minutes uh, on answering uh, this reflective question should take you only five minutes and don't spend any longer because and uh, you're overthinking things. Uh, So, and giving learners really these uh, time estimates attached to each of these activities is terribly helpful. And not just for the learners, but also for me as a designer, uh, as a learning designer, as a teacher, because I then suddenly have to think through how learners are supposed to learn and how long they're supposed to spend time for. And this offers me then in turn the perspectives Uh, of um, what learning is going to be like. Am I overloading learners? Am I underloading learners? And so on. And so this little thing of giving learners time estimates is surprisingly insightful uh, and effective. So bringing this all together, the thing I would like to take on the island is a tool that would help me with all of these things, with the constructive alignment, with the uh, time estimates, and so on. And by pure coincidence, obviously not a coincidence, uh, we actually have such a tool at UCL. I mean, I'm part of the team who is looking after the learning designer online tool, which is an online platform where people can, well, um, design learning, ultimately create lesson plans if you want. That can be one of the outputs, but you string your activities together and create your alignments because you also have to enter learning objects and and so on and the physical manifestation of that that I can bring on the island would be the set of ABC cards many people will have heard of the ABC workshops uh, and these ABC cards they are effectively coming from Diana Laurel Arts conversational framework uh, which is also the basis for the learning designer so uh, the best physical manifestation of the learning designer that I can take with me is the set of abc cards
0: lovely and uh and they are also colorful and they are also six of them so that matches fit fiona's thinking hat oh yes <laughs> excellent but yeah thank you tim that's i think all all those things you said are so useful especially now and and student expectations and students knowing how much or what to do and why is so important um, yeah, Ellie, would you like to add anything to our boards to trade yeah. the
1: Treasure Island? I think I might go a bit more abstract than, than um, what people have suggested so far. So rather than a physical object, um, and maybe not even a pedagogy as such, but what I would like to have more of, whether I'm on an island or not, I guess, is um, confidence in asking questions. And I, I think it kind of comes down to back to some of the t- t- topics that were mentioned earlier, like Fiona said about trusting in the process um, and the idea that you can teach outside your area of expertise, um, which is basically what I've done my whole teaching career is being thrown into teaching things I know nothing about. Um, and I kind of started out thinking. Oh, yeah, I can I can teach anything because I can learn it ahead of the students. So when when you're teaching first year undergraduate, it's kind of I I, I can learn fast enough to stay ahead of the students. Um, but then I had a bit of a wake up call when I was teaching. So. My postdoc turned into a teaching fellowship because my professor um, bought himself out of the teaching and said, I can give you a three-year contract if you take over my teaching and I went yeah sure I can do anything this is my Winnie the Pooh by the way of you know if you say do you want A or B I say yes please I'll take both (laughs) Um, so I did the research and the teaching um, and what he was teaching was um, equine nutrition amongst other things companion animal nutrition I'm like I've done basic biology how hard can it be turns out it can be quite hard but what was hard about it wasn't the content material, the topic, or even the learning design, what was hard about it was having the confidence and being able to stand up in front of students and have the confidence to trust in the process, even though the students didn't trust in me. So for most of the students, it was fine, but for the equine students, they saw through that immediately that you're not an expert. I didn't turn up smelling of horses. I didn't have pictures of me on a horse. And um, they hadn't seen me at the, at the equine yard on campus, you know, and it was like they immediately saw me and thought, you know, nothing about horses. I don't believe a word you say. And I had to kind of try and find the confidence to step into that classroom anyway and go, I'm not an equine. Like, I haven't grown up riding horses, but I do know this content material. I do know how to teach and I can take on this course whether you trust me to or not Um interestingly my professor said he got around that by basically slipping in a photo of him next to a horse in his very first lecture he's not an equine person either he does ruminant nutrition but um they believed because they'd seen that picture they kind of went oh yeah and they could excuse him for not riding because he was absolutely massive and no horse could have taken him um, but yeah they didn't believe me so it was a sort of if I could bring somehow a bottle like a little um, Alice in Wonderland glass of the confidence to trust in the process, the pedagogic process and. That kind of questioning, you know, I can teach anything because I understand how to get asked questions to get you thinking and learning and questioning. Then that would be the thing to take with me, Um I think I'm, I'm getting better at you know doing that but if there was a way of bottling it that you could like you know when when people are starting out you could give them that little bottle and go trust it you can work and and then over time you kind of see it working you start to believe it.
0: That would be interesting (laughs) that's an interesting theme about credibility and how you can gain that and what does it comprise does it comprise credibility as a subject expert or the teacher educator or something else you know as yeah. you said that photo could you know did the I'm
1: finding the same again now when I'm teaching academic practice I'm teaching about learning and teaching in higher education I've been doing this for four or five years and at what point do I get to the point where I'm seen as an expert well for most people they don't know my background necessarily so they just assume I'm teaching it because I am an expert um, but I know I'm quite new to it. So one thing I did was go and do a master's, a bit like you said Tim, you you went and got a master's in education. So I I did our uh, master's in higher education, but I'm finding that I'm drawing on other ways of giving myself credibility in front of those academic colleagues. So for instance, when they question pedagogic research or pedagogic approaches, saying, oh, it's very sort of airy fairy humanities or social sciences because they are from the natural sciences. I can say, I understand. I'm also from the natural sciences and I know how hard it is to kind of buy into those things. And that kind of gives me a bit of credibility or, and it's kind of finding other ways of giving yourself credibility without being a subject expert. So I guess is what you were saying, Fiona, um, about that experience as well of teaching outside your expertise.
0: Yes, yeah, so we have got three lovely islands with constructive alignment, structured learning, confidence in a magic bottle, um, thinking hats. We need the pool characters. Uh, sorry, I'm. I'm that, that's that's reducing what you've just said, Fiona. It's more about you know help things that help us with um, reflecting on our role as learners and, and how we relate to each other as le- learners. Is there anything else or or is there anything you might want to mention or barter with each other?
1: I'd quite like to borrow those cards off Tim.
2: Uh, yeah, I we can it's... all
3: share what we've brought because <laughs> I want to play with uh, the Winnie the Pooh cards. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: think um, just listening there is, uh, it, it's something about connectedness, isn't it? You know, you were saying about our islands and how do we come together and it's its that will to connect you know, we're, we're three different people here, um, four different people with with you, Tunde, but but how is it that we? It's the willingness in your heart, isn't it, to actually reach out and be part of something more than yourself, uh, which I know sounds really, you know, a bit West Coast. Californian there, um, but but somehow that um, we're not alone, and that actually we can have conversations where you know I I taught tried to teach sciences myself, and I you know I really struggled. I remember having a complete blackout teaching um, genetics once. Uh, so you know that there are things that connect us that don't even seem to connect us and and I suppose within all of that I'd love to take to that space the readiness to talk about when it doesn't go well
0: Mm -hmm. We, we
2: we so often talk about when it does and and that word failure has such a negative connotation to it so actually maybe we could connect through the things when it doesn't work uh, to actually see it differently and to or sometimes just to accept that it doesn't work and and it, and it and it was a failure but you're not a failure maybe that's what I'm trying to say
3: that connects very well with uh Eli's point on uh the conf- on confidence isn't it um and what I would like to add is the sense of identity um and your own confidence in your identity uh, or your identities as a plural rather, because um, what we've heard from all of us uh, today is that we really need to adjust to different situations, uh, to different people, uh, sometimes asserting our sort of expertise, even though it might not be in the subject matter. And we've all established that the subject matter expertise is not the central point, uh, if you're an educationalist. Uh, but that requires really a good grounding in whatever else you can do in your educational background and the confidence of being able to apply it. So for me, the sense of uh, your identities and uh, jumping from role to role in to those roles that are required for the different contexts, and then being open for new influences in order to, well, learn from others, uh, in order to help you adjust, um, well, that, that is, again, very abstract, but I think that is something that could help bind us together on that island.
0: I think it's what you said Fiona that connectedness and really linking to what you just said now is that with that you're searching for things that are common and things that are different and you're and you're really only searching for difference so that you can understand it and work with it so whether it's the subject or the identity or whatever we were talking about that and but then at the end of the day it's about because you want to connect and make sense of it Okay, so we've been working hard on, on the islands. So let's talk about relaxing a little bit. So what luxury item would you bring or take in, into your boats to row with, to the island?
3: I, I thought this was a really good question. And um, I, I had a proper thought process. First of all, quite <laughs> selfishly, I wanted to bring my sourdough starter uh, or musical yeah. instrument and so on. But no, I, I'll leave it at home. Uh, Instead, I'm following the spirit of the discussion that we just had, and I bring a set of cones, you know, like you use on sports fields, or maybe traffic cones, I don't know, any type of cone that you can put anywhere, uh, in order to do some collaborative mass movement choreographies, because in in my other sort of private life, I am part of a performance group where we do mass movements, uh, so making great shapes, uh, large shapes, with dozens or even hundreds of people. And I think we can do this together with the other islanders and have some fun.
0: So have you gotten, what what shapes have you made, Tim?
3: Well, it's most, uh, well, a lot of um, geometric, everything that looks good when groups uh, act in a way that uh, makes an impression of being coordinated. Uh, but, but with easy methods, methods, so you can create human gates that open up and down, you can create uh, triangle squares, um, or you can really try to um, hurt other people by forming human chains and circles and uh, create rings, uh, start in the center with everyone one together and then branch out to create a <laughs> circle with a hole in the middle, a donut or so. so lots of things to do with mask uh, choreography
0: brilliant i would do wonder what shape we would like to make and i like the idea that it's moving so you can display more movement or motion
3: it has to be the dynamic it has yeah. to be
0: <laughs> and i know in the past someone did bring um uh, what's the drone to the island so we could probably take a, a really good footage of it ellie um yeah,
1: I guess if I was selfish, um what I would bring would be my knitting, which is always here next to me. Um and I'm always knitting. I, I'm attending the SRHE conference this week as well. So whilst listening to talks, I'm I'm knitting. Um but if I would be slightly less selfish but I'm still selfish because I love eating cake, is I would bring some coffee and cake because what I found is that the best like the best learning experiences, you know when you attend a workshop all day, actually a lot of the learning happens in those relaxed conversations over coffee and biscuits. Um, that's where you digest the stuff that you've taken in from the the kind of more structured session. That's where you have those moments of of recognizing um similarities or differences across institutions or disciplines or languages or whatever it is um, and so although it is relaxation and enjoyment it is also I would say that the most important part of of the learning process is having those breaks but those informal communal conversation breaks and they always go better when there's coffee and cake which is what's been the frustration over the last two years when we're just online and you can't share a coffee and cake and the conversation can't start with oh isn't the coffee terrible here at the university and go yes and then it built like it can build from there and you never know where that conversation leads from that starting point and you can learn it might something and it's not necessarily anything related to the reason you're there in the first place but you always learn something
2: mm-hmm. so true <laughs> okay i think Uh, So this is partly selfish, but I actually think there would be a mutual benefit. But I'd have to attach it to an abstract of hope. I'd like to bring a flat coat retriever with me. I love the dog breed flat coat retrievers. They are known as the Peter Pan of the dog world because they fail to grow up. Um, They're just full of bounce. And, you know, if, if we're going back to Winnie the Pooh, they are Tigger. They, they can but there would be need for hope because they're not known for having that great long lifespan um they they've been too closely bred so they tend to get cancers um so I think I'd have to have a flat coat retriever and when I was fed up with them because they'd been bouncing all over me I'd just lend them out round the island and um, and I think it would be good for people's blood pressure and various other things because we know about all of that research. So, yeah, I'm going to take a flat coat retriever.
0: Oh, brilliant. I have two in the
2: house at the moment. <laughs> I have five dogs and two of them are flat coat retrievers. So uh, that's my yay for the for the breed.
0: Brilliant. I think that's definitely going to um, enhance our feeling and togetherness and love and hope on the island. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I think, I think how can we top that? Some some animals on the island with us, with humans. Brilliant combination. So it's time to sail away to our islands together. So thank you to our listeners for joining us. And if you enjoyed the episode uh, or want to listen more, please subscribe to our podcast on your preferred platform. But goodbye for now. And finally, a big thank you for our guest today. So goodbye.
2: Bye bye now. Thank you. Bye.